Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome, B3 Nation, Twitter Spaces. Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and our Sunday special edition, 5.30 Eastern Time as well. Good to have you all listening. Get Rev Radio is our handle. Follow us there. Share the space. John, Mark, Alex, good to see you all. It's it's the end of Memorial Day weekend. We're, we're, ba- we're back in gear. The markets are gearing up and starting. Mark Lepresti, Accelerate Tax is sponsoring us today. What's the deal with them? Sure. Thank you so much, Robin. A huge welcome, as always, to our Royal B3 Nation. We love you all, even the ones that we don't disagree with. No, no, we agree with everybody that listens to the show. Um, Today's show is sponsored by Accelerate Tax. Um, Accelerate Tax helps small and medium businesses access the Employee Retention Credit Program that was made available under the CARES Act to help SMBs recover from the throes of the COVID pandemic. If you employ less than 500 uh, people and your business was negatively impacted by COVID, go over to AccelerateTax.com to learn more about how you may be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee. So that's www.AccelerateTax.com. Hey, Mark, we've got a partnership to announce with a C-suite partnership that we're pretty excited about with the c-suite network what's the bulls bears and blockchain getting into business making things happen yeah that, that's right rob we uh announced today the kickoff of a, one of what we expect will be many uh, partnerships uh syndication deals that um will provide for uh, even further and wider distribution of our programming as uh, many folks that listen know we do this live but it is recorded and it is put out on all of your major podcast channels and networks. C-Suite Network is one of them. They are focused on business-oriented podcasts, over 3,000 podcasts on their platforms. Uh, and we are happy to be in partnership with them as the latest and, of course, the biggest and the best podcast on C-Suite. Uh, and to learn more about those folks, you can go on over to wwwc dash suite or hyphen i should say s-u-i-t network.com awesome and uh, we got a big show today we got we got streaming wars going on the streamers are are, are battling it out we got record-setting travel from memorial day weekend is there an ftx 2.0 
And is Shiba Inu going to go over a dollar? Chat GPT may have tried to give an answer to that. Hey, Mark and John, let's start, Mark, with, with your take on the week ahead and, and the long weekend we just had. We we did our Sunday show, so you know we, we talked a little on that show about where things were. It's a quiet weekend, but what are you seeing when you look out you know, at the end of the first day of the trading, short trading week? Well, I'll, Rob, I'll, I'll kick it off just briefly, and then I'll let Dr. J provide a little bit more color. Uh, but uh, obviously, U.S. markets closed yesterday in observance of Memorial Day. Thank you to everyone that listened to our Memorial Day special show on Sunday evening. We had incredible guests like Michael Hurston, Brigadier General Anthony Tata, who will be back on uh, without a doubt. And uh, thank you to everybody uh, that we saw and helped celebrate and remember uh, our fallen heroes uh, yesterday on Memorial Day. Today, markets are pretty quiet um, as I think folks tried to uh, get back into gear. Of course, markets and traders distracted by the ongoing discussions over the debt ceiling. A deal, of course, announced on Saturday. That deal, however, needs to be ratified by Congress. Questions about objections, several Republican senators already indicating that they will vote against the deal. Questions around whether or not the deal has enough votes to get passed. So the Dow trading in a pretty narrow range today, the Dow Jones closing down 50 and a half points. Uh, the S&P up very, very mildly, uh, 0.07 points. NASDAQ also up just a little bit, 41 spot, 74 uh, with some uh, interesting moves out of names like Tesla and NVIDIA. But John, what did you see that interested you today in the market? I, I guess the biggest thing, Mark, and hello, B3 Nation. Great to be back with you guys. Um, I guess the biggest thing, Mark, was AI, um, because it wasn't just the stock symbol AI that is the parent company of chat GPT, but also uh, it was driving... Um, NVIDIA again, I mean, NVIDIA gave up a lot of ground, but my gosh, for that stock that put up that phenomenal performance last week to put up another, uh, even though it was only 11 points instead of 30, it still closed over $400. Um, the trillion dollar club, the first, uh, you know, a uh, chip maker to break that barrier. So it closed just beneath it, Mark. I mean, literally, you could throw 50 or 60 cents at the stock right now and send it back over a trillion. Um, that's how high this thing has gone. It's up 100 and I think 78% year to date, something like that. Just a phenomenal performance. And tomorrow we get earnings out of AI which really has my juices flowing right now. Hey, John, do you think um, when we were talking about this a couple days ago, I don't remember who it was who said, uh, you know, I think the NVIDIA train is 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 going to slow down. It's clearly not slowing down, right? But now people's tendencies to jump on the bandwagon, right? It's like, oh, get on now. Do you still feel like, can this just keep going up? Well, uh, you know, Michael Weinberg um a fabulous friend uh, has said that uh, for the people who aren't with the bull run in the NASDAQ and have instead been lining up against it, they've been carved up pretty bad. So you'd have to think, Rob, that a lot of those same people are throwing in the towel, not just covering their shorts, 
but they're probably trying to find a way to grind out some uh, positive you know, alpha somewhere. And it's probably in NASDAQ stocks because they continue to just defy gravity and head higher. They were up, of course, well over a percent for a while today. They finished up a third of a percent, Rob. But um, the fact that so many people are embracing AI, uh, all the different things that it can do, the money that it can save for an awful lot of tech companies and non-tech companies, it's something that we're going to be watching throughout uh, the upcoming quarter. I don't think this is just a, a one day or a two day or a one week phenomenon. Is there, you guys, is, we're going to get to Alex, your crypto overview in a sec. Is there anything comparable in, in your lifetimes to what's happening with AI in terms of technological shift so fast and, and something that has such a reach? How about going from dial up <laughs> where it was all just wee, wah, wee. And then you had to wait, then you were getting something at 2,400 baud or whatever the heck it was, Rob. Yeah, this is like that. I'd, can you do that? Can you do that? Whatever noise John just made, I've got a bunch of dogs there. I know. Somebody do the AOL dial-up song stutter. We don't have one pre-recorded. It's been yeah. buried to extinction. Yeah. You know, Rob, I, while I, I will, um, I rarely disagree with John, um, your precise question about the pace of innovation, the simple answer to that question is no, right? Uh, because we have not seen technology develop uh, at this rapid a pace ever in history. Um, and this is something that is is tracked uh, pretty carefully by various universities. Um, and, and there's simply, even before the advent of AI, even before this AI boom started, which by the way, you know, some of us in, in the data business, like the good folks over at Battlefin, shameless plug for that company, we've been called it machine learning for a long time. AI has been around for a while, but certainly not at, at this point. But the overall pace of technological innovation in this country has never, ever, ever been this rapid. And AI and the advent of LLM, uh, large language models and generative AI, will only even further accelerate the pace of innovation in this country. Well, on that note, Alex Massioli, what's the we had some we've had some quiet in the Bitcoin front, but Bitcoin's up. What's our crypto market overview look like this this on this happy Tuesday? Listen, I remember when uh, black and white TV turned to color, right? That was a big day. Um just Wow, wow, uh, you're that old? Um <laughs> No, I mean, just to continue on the whole AI front uh, that Mark and John were talking about, you know, we are watching, uh, you know, names like Fetch, uh, ticker FET, uh, The Graph, ticker GRT, Singularity Net, AGIX, uh, and Ocean Protocol, because uh, the sentiment on our dashboards, the data that we're sucking in and uh, processing is showing a lot of positivity, and this is reflective off of what's out of the trad five markets and i mean the nvidia trade i've spoken to a bunch of people who who prospered in that trade uh last week uh you know i know john had mentioned that trade before the earnings um mark as well and wow it uh a lot of promises a free dinner 
uh, to me for for making them tune into the show and and hear that tip. But um, listen, AI is uh, is still hot uh, in in the crypto front. A lot of people with a lot of expectations looking at these names. Clearly, as far as the overall crypto market is concerned, listen. All we've been doing this month is turning our bed pillows to get to the cooler side because it has been a snoozer. Uh, crypto's total market cap is up is at 1.16 trillion. It's been in a relative range all year. It has lost 100 billion over the last two quarters. Um, but the, uh, you know, when it comes to the vo- old volatility of crypto, that doesn't really matter. Um, we only had about 30 and a half billion trading hands in the last 24 hours. Bitcoin not nudging either. Even on the day we had a we had a nice bump after literally as we ended the first hour of our show uh, on on Sunday we had a nice bump in Bitcoin going up a thousand points. So um, that was fun. But trading volume still down five and a half percent. We got price holding around twenty seven eight. Ethereum is following Bitcoin's flat gains, but man, as sentiment jumped up. On the trade chain dashboard, we're at 77 out of 100. Uh, we're very bullish uh, on Ethereum here, um, but trading volume, again, still off about 18.5% from average. An interesting note is the relative tweet volume for Ethereum is up 10%. Bitcoin's declined 9% versus average. So, you know, w- what this means, we're, we're still kind of, you know, sifting through the tea leaves to try to figure that out and, and maybe catch the mouth if it comes to uh, uh, fruition of something good happening. Stable going exchange net inflows over the last 24 hours, about four to one over outflows. So we're really hoping for some uh, short term volatility to pick up uh, for the desk. Um, <clears throat> I will say one nice standout movers linear finance ticker l-i-n-a up around 38 percent today some say this is based on hong kong's regulatory proposal of crypto and while linear finance doesn't have direct ties to hong kong its prominence as a top DeFi solution has led to increased interest from chinese traders chinese traders are very active They're, they account for a lot of volume on a day-over-day basis or lacks thereof on the weekends, um, so if this proves true, we might see another. We might see other popular DeFi uh, DeFi players rise in light of the forthcoming crypto regime in Hong Kong. But we're waiting and seeing with high hopes. That's so interesting, Alex. Hey, Nick, um, do you, Alex talked about reading the tea leaves. Nick from Trade the Chain, you spend a lot of time reading the tea leaves over there with Alex. A- any insights on what tea leaves you see for what he's talking about? Yeah, uh, as, as we discussed last week, um, we've been talking, or I mean, we, for a couple of weeks now, it seems we've been talking about that 26.5 level being extremely critical to bullish continuation. And I said, as long as price is above 26.5, I'm continuing to look for longs. And that thesis has come uh, or as as portrayed great, um, you know, gains in the market as you know, anytime prices dipped under 26.5, it has quickly recovered and then obviously blasted all the way 
up to 28k over the weekend on the heels of uh you know debt ceiling news um you know actually progressing hopefully we get some good news on wednesday but that 26.5k in the is still my level in the sand i do not want to see price go under it if it does we'll obviously look for a deviation to continue to long but i will say um we are now above the four hour estimated 200 moving average which is typically a strong resistance and support signal and now that we're above it it is now support so as long as bitcoin stays above 27.5 as we head into a big data week this week we have a lot of unemployment data as well as the debt ceiling news if we can stay above 27.5 i will continue to look for longs but again macro line in the sand 26.5 above it i am still bullish. he's got a line in the sand hey alex quick question China. I think I, think I lost you, Rob. Lose, Rob. What's that? Yeah. Um, Rob, I can hear you. Sorry, I was saying we talked about this the other day that, that China State TV had put a thing on about buy Bitcoin. And, you know, you were like, yeah, until they say don't. Hong Kong rides a funny little line there, right, in in, in how it works and how China's, uh, you know, long arm, the long arm of the law of China. But yet you're seeing a lot of activity there right now. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, listen. It's uh, the British handed it over uh, a little bit ago now back to China, but yet Hong Kong still has a certain delineation from mainland China. Um, it, it's an odd experiment in uh, you know geopolitical stances, but we are seeing a lot of uh, a lot of action coming from Hong Kong. Um, the thing is, does it stay or is the crackdown, you know, the, the little the little bands do they keep coming? Interesting. Well, listen, we've got a big show. Let's let's move into some of our TradFi topics. Also, at the end of this, guys, we have now our new follow up show called Beyond B3. It takes place right when we finish at uh, 630 Eastern time. It's a great way if you're listening and you've got questions and you want to get involved. To dive in, we basically involve you guys in the conversation. Um, it's hosted by Josh Carey. It's a lot of fun, so stick around for it. Obviously, you know, and 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 stick around for the rest of our show as well, because the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Show is the never-ending source of so much fun, insight, and information. Speaking of which, Mark Lepresti, the streaming wars. We talk about streaming wars. We're always talking about streaming wars, and I, and and. I saw this like the other day when I was skimming through news and it was fascinating me because I'd love to get your take on the breakdown that, that, you know, they've been looking for big subscribers, you know, the, the market's watching the big subscribers. Are you getting more subscribers? And suddenly they're going up. We actually want you to be profitable. So streamers are dropping content, which no one thought they would do. Right. But it makes sense because they're paying residuals on that. So the shows you used to love to watch are just suddenly going to not be available. Right. And that's going to probably happen across the streaming platform. So what's what's your take on it? What's the inside look at what that means? Yeah, Rob, you you, you summed it up very well. Um, and folks are, are crying foul. People that are already crying foul about paying uh, what they perceive to be unreasonably high subscription costs for multiple streaming subscriptions just to try to get you know one or two titles that any particular streamer might have I, that's certainly true in, in in my world where i'm not even sure how many uh, streaming subscriptions that we have uh, and i'm sure there's overlapping content among them but at a uh, at the behest of wall street investors and i think rightfully so 
profitability, particularly in this rising rate environment, becomes very, very important. And so one of the things that new streamers are doing is they are cost cutting and they're cost cutting by trying to reduce their license fees and costs, which are one of the primary cogs, cost of goods sold for streaming networks. And so uh, folks are going to have to get used to seeing uh, some of their favorite titles, uh, platforms like Disney being among the ones that are going to be making some of the biggest cuts drop away from their subscriptions. This is really uh, one of the another indication of how streaming and the and the streamers that are part of this battle for streaming dominance uh, are struggling to survive, particularly against the backdrop of these new ad supported uh, networks that are free to watch, but people are willing to, particularly if it's the content that they want to watch that they'd be willing to listen to or watch a 30 or or a 60 or even a 90 second ad rather than pay $60 for Hulu and $70 for Netflix. And and by the way, I'm making those numbers up, adding up to what they used to pay for basic cable, especially if you lived in a big city like New York and Los Angeles. So I think continued bad news for all of the streamers, continued good news for those that are uh, leaning into these uh, creator-sponsored and creator-backed networks that uh, rely on this uh, FAST, it's now being called, ad-supported, the, I forget what the F stands for, uh, but that's the new acronym for ad-supported streaming without support. Hey, John, like... Free free ad-support, free ad-supported... Free ads. it's, it's fast. fast, it's fast either way. John, you know, we've all talked about this before, and I'm with Mark. I'll watch an ad any day, and I hate watching the bills I pay for streaming. I'm like Mark. I got all these streaming services. I don't even know what I have on them. But to, to just cover everything. How does this start shaking out? I mean, the Netflix, the, the Amazon Primes, I don't know if they're literally the same in terms of wh- wh- where they're situated, but how do you see what Mark's talking about shaking out? And you, you know, how's the market already reacting to that? Because nobody's really profitable in the streaming space, are they? Well, um, all, the, all the new entrants like Disney and so forth are not. Um, but I, I, I think the issue is that Disney is no longer getting the revenue that it was getting from selling its, uh, uh, basically, uh, after they've done their theatrical debuts and finished that, um, they would routinely sell it to HBO back in the day or Showtime and a host of others. And then when the streamers came along, they went on with, of course, uh, Netflix. And then when Amazon entered the fray, they went on with Amazon. And it became a little bit of a bidding war for them with that. And then all of a sudden, Disney and a host of other content producers decided, let's keep it in-house. Let's, you know, we've made this stuff. Let's not sell it. Let's keep it and see if we can turn this into a profitable business. Well, they haven't. Um, so they've basically taken something, Rob, that was uh, uh, a, a significant revenue stream to them. You know, you might do eighty or a hundred million at the box office, and maybe you could make another twenty-five, thirty mil over a couple years um, having it on a streamer or or at the HBOs back in the day. Now they've turned it into a lost leader. They're trying to hold eyeballs and get people to come to their. Uh, little shops, you know, whether it's Paramount or Warner Brothers or Disney, because I could hit them all with that. Um, 
And by doing so, like I say, that lost leader, that's hitting the bottom line. Um, so it's it's not a free lunch for these guys. They thought it would be, and it's far from it. The cost of them getting into the business is has been measured in the billions, like something like, I think, $17 billion the streamers collectively have lost um, trying to get into a profitable situation. So for somebody like Netflix that forever did not have their own content and now has started producing content and a fairly robust schedule of content interrupted, of course, by the writer's strike, just like everybody. But nonetheless, um, I would think they'd be the best positioned Rob to uh, deal with it because they've always bought content and put it up. Um, and they've managed to find a way to uh, grind out a little profit doing that versus these other guys that clearly gave up profit to try to compete with Netflix instead of stupidly, instead of buying them like Disney should have done easily a decade ago, if not five years ago, should have bought them. Interesting. Is there, this may seem like a strange question, but is there an option play, John, you would make in the streaming space? Um, I wouldn't mind a basket of uh, shorts against Netflix for that very reason, Rob, because they're paying to produce this content. They're putting it out. Um, in some cases, they have a big hit, like obviously this Little Mermaid Live is a big hit. They did, I think, $118 million or something over the long holiday weekend. But they've had few and far between of those. Um, John's watched it twice. <laughs> but I, yeah, watched, yeah, but but I John, watched the, it the, the second time for free, Alex, because you and I snuck in. Uh, <laughs> but but the, but the New York Times critics said it didn't have enough kink, John. I don't. Did you find it kinky enough? No, no, I'm not kidding, Alex. I, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners saw that it, it didn't have enough kink. Oh my yeah, god! For a kids movie for a G-rated movie, it's supposed to have kink. Yes. Yeah, according to the times. Yes, I have a question for you guys. I've learned a lot from both you, both you, Mark and John, about um, the streaming business and and how how its business relates to uh, share performance. Um, one of the things that I learned from you guys, and this is super interesting, and I don't think many folks know about this, is that networks actually pay themselves uh, when they when they're streaming side of their business license their shows owned by the network can you guys explain that and why and why that is done or and how it's beneficial well i don't know that i can alex but what i could do is i i just got pinged from my brother pete who said hulu and netflix are the only profitable major streamers he said small ones like some of the art house ones like Britbox. if anybody's watched that i love their shows they have a lot of great, you know, British uh, detective shows and things like that. But there's a couple small art house ones that may be profitable, and they end up kind of getting lost on your uh, when you go to your smart TV to look for for stuff like that. But Hulu and Netflix are the only profitable major streamers. Yeah, Alex. I mean, that, that's a really, really good point. And and by the way, John, many thanks. To your brother, the great, talented, and handsome Pete Nigerian. Pete, if you're listening, get your butt back over onto the show. Request the mic and get on stage with the rest of us. The water's just fine. Uh, 
NBC Universal paid itself a half a billion dollars, a half a billion dollars to stream Universal TV's The Office on Peacock. And Warner Brothers Discovery paid just shy of that $425 million, what's $75 million among friends, for the streaming rights to WBTV's Friends TV, a TV show that I never I never liked, uh, and I know that's a controversial thing to say. Uh, I think it has something to do with accounting on the appropriate balance sheet, particularly for the residuals to the uh, actors and actresses that are on those programs, but that is a very interesting phenomenon. That's a great question. More importantly, Mark, how could you not like Friends? How could you not like something about Friends? Trash. Trash. Come on, Mark. Please. Really? Rachel? I didn't have enough kinks for Mark. Doesn't it? <laughs> there you go. You figured it out, Rob. Well done. So let's talk about the Memorial Day travel. As predicted on, on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, very probably by you, Mark, um, travel reached pre-pandemic levels. People took to the skies. So what does that mean for the summer, the rest of 2023? And what does it mean for the airlines, which are still playing a little catch-up at you know being on time and, and you know having enough pilots and staffing? Uh, well, listen, the, the problems with the airline industry uh, persist despite continued robust demand for travel. And yeah, as you point out, Rob, this was the best Memorial Day since before the pandemic. Since 2019, the TSA indicating that they screened almost 10 million people <clears throat> over the weekend. Um Friday alone, almost 3 million people uh, being screened by the friendly people at the TSA. And listen, this is an important indication, not only because, of course, the airline and travel sector more broadly is very carefully watched, not only by the market masters, but by traders and investors around the world, but because the airline industry itself looks to Memorial Day demand as an indication and a gauge for what they think the rest of the summer is going to look like. So this obviously bodes very well for what was already anticipated to be continued robust demand. Airlines, uh, both domestic and international, had been reported, I, I'm pretty sure by us on this show and other networks, of course, a couple of weeks ago, as increasing capacity, adding flights for the summer, particularly flights to Europe. Travel to Europe is expected to be perhaps even more robust than it was last year. What we're going to be looking to see is when the party ends. I have been surprised, admittedly so, by the continued demand for the U by the U.S. consumer who is uh, you know out of money and out of credit and, and hasn't gotten a raise a raise in a long time. Um, but they'll they'll spend as John says all the time. They're willing to continue to spend on experiences over goods, and we've seen that manifest in the earnings reports, particularly those that were you know, the end of the second quarter earnings season that we're coming through here right now. Um, so it looks like this is going to be good and positive bullish momentum for the airline industry in particular, and perhaps the travel industry, hotels as well, through the end of the summer. We'll see how that plays You've been out. a big fan of the travel space but, uh, in general. By the way, have you guys noticed, we all travel a lot. Have you noticed that the TSA people are getting nicer and more efficient, or is that just me? I feel like they move you through faster. They harass you less. Just me? I I would say that they are more pleasant now. Um, I would say that at least, Rob. Um, perhaps they're moving faster in some airports as well. But, boy, between clear and TSA... 
uh, or a, a whatever pre, tree yeah. check. Yeah, TSA pre. Um, and there are so many people who are availing themselves of those services that it's almost, it's not quite, but it's almost to the point where you should drop back to the other lines because frequently they're less long than the TSA pre, but not than the clear. The clear is the best. Interesting. Hey, Mark mentioned um, people spending, continuing to spend, and we're seeing online spending despite all the things, high prices, the, the credit card debt, the way the you know the the stagflation in wages, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, all doing well. Um, so what does that mean? People are just good. I mean, what does that mean in the market space? But also why? I guess people are just determined to not slow down. They're going to spend. I don't know where they're putting it if their credit cards are maxed out, but well, people are so used to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, what what does that what does that say? What 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 is that what is that telling us? Online sales keep going up and up as a huge part of retail sales. They do, but it's it's uh, usually um, for the major retailers, it's much more competitive because when you're in the store, sure you can get on your phone and compare it to what you know. Can I find it cheaper somewhere else? But that's probably a, a slim minority of people that are doing that. But online, uh, virtually everybody is price shopping. So the profit margin, I think, is much lower, even though they don't have theft issue with the online sales. It has to be minuscule, uh, the theft, and that's only their own employees really doing it for that. But that, you know, it does exist. It's just very, very small. Um, I, I would think, Rob, that you're going to see um, that the online sales continue to do well. Uh, it's, it's another reason commercial real estate might be in a little bit more of a pickle than uh, even some of the really uh, uh, pessimistic views, because people don't like I've, I've seen myself a lot of retailers lately that have considerably less on the shelves than they used to. And I don't because people were coming through and just buying everything. I mean, because so much was being stolen that they are hiding a lot of things and not putting as much out on the floor. And John, yeah. John, I, I, I'm sorry, more, more John, I, I apologize. I, and that brings me to a point when we see holiday season come, we have Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday come this year. There's been a lot of theft, a lot of closures of stores. Um, one, are we going to see a dip in uh, earnings because of that? Or is online going to make up for that and probably or possibly exceed that? I would say it, it online won't exceed it for a while still, except, you know, for the ones that are just pretty much pure play like Amazon. I would think it's still a ways off, Alex. But, yeah, it's it's going to be a bigger and bigger percent all the time. And certainly – Cities that don't enforce, um, that let people take up to $1,000 before they can be charged, uh, like San Francisco, as far as stealing things, that's definitely going to cause a lot more of the goods that would have been sold on the store floor to be sold online. Well, it's also, it's 16% of the retail space right now. That's that's up. That's double what it was 10 years ago. And I can't even imagine 20 years ago when this when that commerce really started, people could ever imagined it being this big. I mean, could we see it get to, you know, to Alex's point, could it get to 40, 50 percent? Or is, is that just unrealistic? 
and probably will probably soon, just not this year. Next year, Marco Presti, where do John mentioned commercial? We talked about commercial real estate, and you know, in most parts of commercial real estate, I mean, I think there's some industrial that's doing fine, but there's definitely a lot of issues and, and a lot of a lot of issues for banks, regional banks tied into that. But home prices, we're seeing a housing market where low supply and high prices are heating that home market up. And that's a shift. What's going on with that? Yeah, listen, I mean, something that we've been looking at, as everybody has very carefully, is whether or not there's going to be any shift whatsoever in the dynamic that we've been seeing with the American uh, real estate market, particularly residential housing, existing and new homes as unbelievably stubborn supply shortages, which continue to plague the industry, uh, make it very difficult, particularly for first-time home buyers to access and get into that new home and go from renters to owners. No help today from the numbers that we were uh, anxiously anticipating coming out of Case Shoulder this morning, uh, indicating that nationally home prices in March were up just under 1% higher uh, year over year. Uh, and particularly uh, even higher in, in certain cities. So unfortunately, it appears that notwithstanding interest rates, right, which typically interest rates go up, particularly to the levels that they have during this fast-paced rate hike environment under j that it impacts demand for mortgages, that tends, excuse me, tends to bring uh, the real estate market down, sometimes down substantially, and bring home prices down but because we still have such, such tight uh, uh, supply-demand dynamics, the low, as we reported, I think, uh, a week or so ago, uh, incredibly low, historically low turnover of existing homes. And actually, it was. We talked about it in the context of how that was negatively impacting Home Depot's earnings. If you buy a new home, you don't have to go to Home Depot and buy paint and, and uh, uh, fixtures and, and molding and, and different switch plates and all that. It's all brand new. You don't have to do anything. And that low turnover of existing homes hurting Home Depot. But man, oh man, there just does not appear to be any let up in the supply situation and home prices continuing to go up. Not a good thing for the American economy. Not a good thing. For America. And one more thing, not good for the American economy. It's the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. We do this Tuesday and Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time and a special weekend edition on Sundays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all the hosts and share the space if you're enjoying it. And stick around when we are done at 6.30 Eastern Time for the Beyond B3 show where you, the audience, B3 Nation, can join in. Literally, you know, raise your hand. We'll get you in. Uh, not everybody, obviously, too many people. But, you know, we, we get as many people in and, and you guys become part of the conversation. John, I want to do our your fantastic futures in a second. But first, in terms of bad news for the economy, let's just all have the quick debt tobacco conversation. Because as we've seen, you know, the news over the weekend was they'd forged a deal. And as Mark mentioned earlier, that deal is tenuous. And again, as a guy who spent a lot of time in Washington, and I've been saying, you know, from the start on this, I don't think this is anything close to going over the finish line. I know, I know, you know, if you can get a majority of Republicans on board in the the middle of the, the caucus and bring Democrats over, you have enough. But people are forgetting that the speaker made a deal where any member can call for a vote on his leadership. And he would not have enough votes to survive that if six or seven 
far right caucusers said no. So I think this thing's still up in the air. Your thoughts and and how's the market looking at it? Oh yeah, it is still up in the air. Um, I think what it showed is that there's a, a willingness on both sides to come to a deal that doesn't result in default, even for a couple of days, and or use of the 14th Amendment, which we've, and Mark has uh, very accurately opined on, um, that that's just not meant for this, and it would result in an overturn by the Supremes and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it would result ultimately in the downgrade of our debt again, which makes financing our debt more expensive. So... I still think, Rob, that they those five or six members will uh, be lined up against this and will not vote for it. Um, and they'll have to go back and have to have something that they give them. I mean, there's a big thing that it's it's not just for Joe Manchin, but there was a big thing that was part of this that really drove very significantly one of the stocks um, today. It was up better than 30 some odd percent. Uh, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and, you know, that, uh, you know, th that's uh, whatever, Equitrans midstream. And that happens to sit right in Joe Manchin's backyard. And they'd been trying to get this permitted for the longest time. Um, and boy, as soon as they announced that there was a deal, uh, for the debt ceiling that included this as part of those negotiations, the stock was up 34%. This is a stock that just moves stuff through pipelines and never, ever moves 34%. Um, but, you know, here's the exception that makes the rule, Rob. So could there be something that they could find a way to offer these uh, folks who would otherwise stand against it? That's the way it usually works in Washington. So I would think that there will be a slight alteration. But overall, this thing does get passed by the middle. of. So, Mark, let me you brought this up before and, and I thought great analysis on it. John, I agree with you that they will eventually get it passed. I think the only thing these guys want and I'm not saying they're wrong. They want serious spending reductions. And if they don't get them, like I said, they can call for a vote on the speakership. They have enough people to offset that to keep him from winning a second time. So it's 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 a pickle to use that word. So Mark, you've said even if we do get it done, if we go through this, if suddenly they're calling for a vote on the speaker and there's chaos and mayhem, it's what you call the like the pre version. You don't actually default, but you still send the markets into a, a tizzy because we come too close. Yeah. So that's the that's the concept of a hard versus a soft default, Rob. It was uh, something. Uh, a concept and phraseology that I stole, of course, from you know a, a hard or a soft landing regarding the recession. Um, and yeah, there is a lot of damage that this political, you know, horse, you know, whatery uh, that continues, and it is not a done deal. Even though, of course, it was announced triumphantly on on Saturday that the president and McCarthy had reached a deal, it still needs to be ratified in the House. It will face stiff opposition. We could see further changes to the details of the deal. And the more we show dissension and the more that the political sideshow that is the debt ceiling debate that everybody knows the debt ceiling is going to be extended. We're not going to default. But the more that we demonstrate an inability to behave like effing adults in this country, the more that we have the possibility of a of a hard 
a, a soft default versus a hard one, meaning we get a deal, but the reputational damage is there. We, we have the rating agencies putting us on, you know, a, a credit rating lots negative, as, as I think it was Fitch that did uh, last week. And, you know, it's interesting, Rob, a, a very a good friend of mine, a, a brilliant man, a great economist, Stephen Burke from AGS. Um, Stephen, if you're listening, uh, wonderful job. He does a, a weekly briefing um, every Tuesday morning uh, to a family office group that I'm a part of. His insights are absolutely remarkable. And today, uh, Steve was focused in his insight briefing to this family office group on the perception of the United States and the credibility of the president and the credibility of the Senate and Congress as it relates to um, economic uh, knowledge, the ability to handle economic crises versus other types of crises facing the United States. And the global average uh, gave the uh, the the Congress uh, and, and our members, uh, elected members of Congress and the Senate, a solid D minus uh, as it relates to their credibility to govern from the perspective of economic policy. That is a great indicia of the concept of a, a a soft default that I talked about a couple of Sundays ago. Maybe it was actually last Sunday we talked about that soft default concept. So. We should be mad. We should be pissed as as citizens. We should be pissed as taxpayers. We should be pissed as voters because this is political. Yeah, enough of the horse, whatever you called it, horse nutter, horse horse what nutter, horse who are you? I'd like to use a different word that starts with that. No, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get canceled by uh, PETA or whoever else might tell me that uh, was the wrong. Doctor J, uh, let's get a, a fantastic futures uh, minute in here because everybody everybody loves your insights on futures, and I know, know you got a few things a few things to to give out. Again, not investment advice, just uh, your perspective on what's what what you're seeing out there. Oh well, you're too kind, Rob. Um, the uh, one thing that my brother Pete and I were noticing is that there are so many of these commodities that are down um, year to date. You know, today we were talking about cotton and wheat, both of which are down year to date. But I guarantee you somewhere without doing too much searching, you can find um, a company that is saying they had to raise prices because of all the inputs costs. And if your major input, if, you, if, if we're talking wheat, if your major input um, is down double digit percent on the year or cotton, which is basically flat on the year, it might be up 2% or down 2%. That's not an excuse for the sort of uh, inflation we see at the stores. But I think as uh, Mark said earlier, I'm pretty sure it was Mark, um, they're raising prices because they can, because people just keep, it might've been you, Rob, people just keep coming in and keep paying up. Um, and until that fever breaks, uh, we've seen them trade down, yes, but we haven't seen them just put on a buyer's strike where they don't go in and pay these high prices. Uh, but boy, we've, I can show you half a dozen commodities right now that are down on the year. And yet the people who sell the products based on those commodities are saying, wow, we have to keep raising prices because the inputs are up. No, they're not. And the, uh, the person that you're paying that scant 15 bucks an hour to um, isn't the reason that, that, you know, jeans are at this price or that um, various uh, 
breakfast cereals or others are uh, experiencing the inflation that they're experiencing. Interesting. And you also, I, I noticed in some notes here that uh, you mentioned AI being up, um, NVIDIA being up, ETRN benefit. I'm not sure why, but I think you know why it's a be- beneficiary of the debt deal, but it was trading high. What What's the deal with that? Well, yeah, ETRN, that was that Equitrans midstream that we were talking about. They Basically, the approval of the deal that Biden and uh, McCarthy negotiated um, also has tied to it remaining permits for Equitrans Mountain Valley Pipeline, which was something that they dearly wanted and that, you know, actually does benefit a number of people. It's not just oil and gas sort of things. It's water um, moving through pipelines with them. But the AI, I thought, Rob, was, uh, and again, that's the company that Microsoft has put, you know, uh, whatever, billions of dollars with. They have uh, an extreme uh, lead over their competitors of the majors because theirs has been successful where Google's barred and whatever Google changes the name to, I'm sure they'll change the name, um, is is woefully behind uh, what Microsoft has. But AI has earnings tomorrow. And they're only supposed to earn like 70 to 72 million, Rob, which for a company that has jumped in market cap the way AI has, you would expect probably a, a larger, a, a, that's the revenue, that's not profit, that's the revenue. But today it hit another all-time high, was up 33%, um, and now it's a $5 billion company. So this is going to be an interesting story, and I pity the people who are short it. We've had unusual activity in it. We're lucky enough to be long it, um, but I pity the 28 or 29% of the float that is short because when that earnings report hits, this one could be double this price. Wow, interesting, fascinating stuff. It's the fantastic future segment. We're like going into space with this stuff, Dr. J. Um, you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. We do this Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Rob Nelson from Roundtable Radio, Alex Massioli, John Nigerian, Mark Lepresti, the market masters, as always, giving great insights. And Alex, it is time for us to talk a little bit about crypto. What is the deal that people have been hearing this for a while, that FTX is going to try a relaunch? And I remember hearing the new management saying they were going to try to do that. But is that, is that even like realistic that they do this, that they manage to reboot this thing? Well, it, it, it is realistic, uh, unfortunately. I mean, God knows we don't want to, we don't want to hear those three initials ever again. Um, but I think the reality of, of it reboot isn't so much from its restructuring currently in bankruptcy in Chapter 11. Um, I think it has to do with more market. Uh, because right now, you have Gemini, uh, which has launched its derivatives platform, by the way, not in the U.S., uh, and you have other exchanges that are are really kind of scurrying, looking for profit. We have low volume. Exchanges make money off of volume. So right now, what we're looking at is any of these exchanges, uh, you know, that have taken a hit on earnings off of volume, off of trade. Um, I 
I think we're going to see a couple of them try to come out of the woodwork and try to raise total uh, going into 2024, possibly Q4 uh, 2023. Um, as far as F concerned, they're going to be behind the double eight ball, right? They have, there's low volume. Uh, exchanges make uh, money off transaction fees. There's not a lot of it out there. Um, they're coming from a very bad tarnished brand. Uh, so I, I don't see where the reality is uh, when it all comes together. And I also uh, don't see where the reality is, even though they have 7 billion assets recovered, um, <clears throat> how much of that uh, is going to be a percentage that equals towards 100%. So I think it's a very uphill battle for FTX. Um, and I think uh, right now it's, it's going to be an uphill battle for the second half of 2023 for exchanges that don't have tarnished revenue. Makes volatility great again. That's that's what we need. But 100%. Alex, what happens what happens with the 7 billion in assets they've recovered? What what are those assets? And again, who wants to if right now if you're the average person, why would you ever go to near FTX? It's been so destroyed as a brand. Even if they're like under new management, you'd be like, "Nah, I'll find somewhere else." You know, you're exactly right. And we've seen that with, uh, you know, the different bankruptcies that happened in 2022. Um, you know, it's it's no secret uh, that, you know, one of my companies uh, is, a, is you know, bidding in on Voyager assets in that bankruptcy. Um, we saw FTX blow that up with Voyager. We saw uh, Binance pull out of Voyager. Um, we saw Fahrenheit win the Celsius bankruptcy uh, bid. Uh, who's going to go back to this? Nobody. Uh, first of all, these companies took the average Joe's money. I mean, th th this isn't multimillionaires, and they had a couple of spare uh, shekels in there. These are people who honestly came in through the end of 2020 and, tw and beginning of 2021, were new to crypto. Uh, they, they saw the gains that were being made in the bull market. They put a lot of their capital in there at the same time that they were trying to learn what the market is, which is always a dangerous stunt. That's like people who don't know how to trade options uh, opening up an account one day. Um, there's, I, I don't believe the average uh, retail consumer who just came into crypto is going to be hitting the button on, on any of these uh, refurbished brands anytime soon. Refurbished, that's generous. Hey, Marco Presti, by the way, I saw last night that Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers moved to dismiss 10 of the 13 charges based on a recent Supreme Court ruling that if you're not being deprived of actual assets, just financial information or something. I mean, this is, I mean, obviously it's a stretch, right? I mean, that they could even hope to get them dismissed, but that trial comes up in, in the fall. I'm sorry, Rob. I just spit my martini across the room laughing. Um, listening to <laughs> as, 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 I'm, as I'm sure did the justice department lawyers that, that had to, had to read that. Um, yeah, well, you know, um, if, if, if digital assets aren't really securities, do they even exist? Uh, hey, Patrick, cue like the dreamy existential sound effect there. For and that the question one. that Jeff is, is Gary Gensler a poser? God damn it, I thought we were going to lose the first hour. I did, you know, you know. Still a poser. <laughs> John's right about that one for sure, Rob. Listen, you know, let's <coughs> putting aside, joking aside, everybody is in this country innocent until proven guilty and obviously i wasn't kidding you really did that martini, martini, martini killing him 
going to die on air. You did. Jeez. It, with, with, you know, listen, uh, applaud to his defense lawyers doing their job as all defense attorneys should. They have a role in the justice system. But that one is, I think, John, as you might say in football, a Hail Mary. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that that's pretty accurate, Mark. But um, I, I can understand why there's some value there that uh, with as as Alex described, there are people who would buy just pieces of some of these companies and under completely different management, it wouldn't be surprising to see somebody make an attempt to bring it back. I don't know that they ever use those three letters again. What are those seven billion in assets? What, what that, you know, I asked that before. Is, is that to your point? That's what they would, that's what they would be buying up that seven billion. Assets? No, 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 no. Infrastructure, infrastructure technology is all that they would be buying up. And right now, uh, it's at a huge uh, discount uh, to the dollar. Um, the assets go back by law uh, to the customers. And well, right, to, the, to the creditors, right, Alex? To the creditors, uh, among correct. The, the, the customers are, are in that group in terms of priority under the U.S. bankruptcy system. But yeah, none... None of those those assets, Rob. If I'm if I'm reading this report correctly, and I'm pretty sure I am, with a little bit of history and, and bankruptcy, I was involved in the, in the uh, Bernard Madoff uh, bankruptcy as an attorney on behalf of a number of hedge funds and family offices that unfortunately lost so much money to that uh, epic scam. Uh, so so that seven billion in assets is anticipated, in my uh, humble estimation, to be going to the creditors. The chief among them are are the customers, the account holders. Got it. I, quick quick question. I wanted to pop in with that's very much related to this. Um, the recently, I think as as recently as last week, there was an IRS tax bill for FTX related to how they a formulated their company operations and then paid taxes. I think it was really rooted in I think paying people as contractors rather than full time employees, uh, along with a, a litany of other things. But I think it was a forty two billion dollar tax bill. Um, <laughs> it, it, like, and, and of course, I'm not a tax expert. I would love to ask the panel how how does that play into purchasing you know bankrupt assets or you know pieces of the. Hey, maybe we should have uh, Sam's dad on Joe Bank. That's actually, he's a tax expert. That's actually. That's a great question, Mark. Um, when you go into Chapter Eleven, are uh, are taxes any owed taxes um, uh, acquitted, so to speak, of the auction, or is that a carry forward liability? The, and, and the uh, cor- corporate taxes are not absolved, so, yeah, so it's, a, it's a liability. There can be, there will be, there will undoubtedly be proceedings as to what the actual amount of the liability is. And in most instances, particularly where there's an exchange or a custodial type of, of institution uh, uh, like an FTX or like we had with an MF Global, uh, you know, the, the hope is that uh, the, the customers, the account holders, the folks who put their own assets at risk come before uh, the government. But we'll see how that plays out. And, and I'm not I'm not a bankruptcy expert. Um, the role that I slayed in the bankruptcy proceedings that I described was, was that as a, of a securities expert and dealing with those issues in the context of the bankruptcy proceedings. So this is not, as it's not um, investment advice, this is not. Hey, but as, as, as a so, rule of thumb, could, could even with the 87,000 new IRS agents, 
it, it, would they ever be able to get at $42 billion back in, in tax payments? Where would they get? Not, not ahead of the, I don't see that happening ahead of, ahead of the customers, Rob. I just, I just don't. And perhaps even other creditors. And, um, bear in mind that it's that is part of what has at least in the current version of the debt ceiling bill what's going to be cut not eliminated but cut you won't hear any complaints from me on that but we do manage to get the debt debacle back in before the end of our show guys we're, we're, <laughs> we're at the end of, of bulls bears and blockchain tuesday edition Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.